Welcome to The Futurist with your hosts, Ben Rohde and Alex Lightman. Each week, we feature a specific aspect of our collective future with action steps you can take to make your own future better and brighter. Our guest experts are top futurists in their field who will remind you that anything is possible. Give us 90 minutes and we'll give you the future. Hello, Ben. Ben, are you there? Hello, Ben. Are we on air? If you're talking, I can't hear you. Can you hear me? Yes, I'm on the line. Hello? Hello? Hi, this is can Alex. Can anybody hear anybody? Yes, I can hear you now. Can you hear me? I couldn't me? hear you a minute ago. I can hear you. Is that Jen? Oh, my this gosh. Is okay, Chris. we did it. Great. Hey, Hi. Chris and Alex. Hey. Yes, Chris. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> okay, well, Hello. we have to edit this episode. You made it. Okay. Congratulations. Yes. We did it. Technology editing is out. necessary. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. How are you? Welcome to I'm the show. Good. I don't know why we try to do things so last minute around here, um, but we do, apparently, because the show must go on. Uh, Christine, welcome. Let me, let me introduce you real quick. Uh, for, I want to give, give you two I want to give you two bios. I want to give you the bio from who you are to us, and then I want to give you the bio of who you are to everybody else, okay? So okay. who she is to <laughs> us is one of our favorite people on the planet. She's just such a bright light, such a beautiful human being. Being in this woman's presence transforms the cells in your body. She, is, she has such an incredible life story and Jen and I had the pleasure of meeting her at a 10-day tour around Costa Rica that we were both speaking at. So we got, to, we got to watch her speak for around two hours, and the entire room was in tears. Um, and I, we're just we're so glad tears, that... Tears of, tears of joy or tears of, of sadness? They, they were just... They were ready to listen to us. Um, <laughs> tears of tears awakening. Of, Let's of, just say tears, tears of awakening. <laughs> so Chris's story is unlike anything you've ever heard, and I, I want her to talk a little bit about it. Um, but she experienced a level of loss that most people on the planet will never experience, and the way that she moved through it is just a—it's a course in mastery and she did a lot of preparing before before that time and and has had a lot of learning since that time so um now let me let me read you her her official bio 
Christine Carlson, New York Times bestselling author and world-renowned speaker, is passionate about spreading her message of living with joy and gratitude. Chris's life mission expands on the phenomenal success of she and her late husband, Dr. Richard Carlson's work in the Don't Sweat the Small Stuff series. She continues his legacy of peaceful and mindful living through her own best-selling books, including the most recent Don't Sweat the Small Stuff for Moms, An Hour to Live, An Hour to Love, The True Story of the Best Gift Ever, and her memoir, Heartbroken Open. Over the past two decades, Chris and Richard have sold more than 25 million books, she has been featured on national radio and television broadcasts, including The Today Show, Good Morning America, The View, and The Oprah Winfrey Show. Chris's particular roles of expertise are focused on change, transition, and reinvention, and waking up to life with more gratitude and joy. She is a mentor for people navigating the challenges of middle age. Chris is a highly sought-after international uh, inspirational speaker and is available for keynote talks, um, media appearances, and our radio show. Um, so I, I've got to <laughs> say, you know, we when we met Chris in Costa Rica, we fell in love, and immediately afterwards, we we were all flying back to the U.S. Uh, to I I think oh we were speaking at another event. We ended up. It doesn't matter. Anyway, we stayed with her for a few days and had just a, another powerful experience. And Chris gave Jen her book, Heartbroken Open. And Jen was reading this book at home. And I walked in and Jen just got tears pouring down her face. I and mean, she's got the <laughs> ugly cry going on, right? And I'm like, what is that? Is that Chris's book? And she's like, yes. She's so amazing. And I mean, this this woman has taken that brand, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, and done so much good with it and have changed the lives of millions. And Chris, how long ago was that book uh, initially published? Was that 20 years ago, the 20th anniversary? Yeah, so we're, we're heading into the 20th anniversary um, right now, like this year in January, um, right before Richard transitioned. I say transition because that's the nicest word to call what he did. <laughs> right. He, right before he passed. On the bigger um, and better things. Yeah, yeah. He it was the tenth anniversary and so yeah, it's been ten years almost. It's just been a really unbelievable ten years and I can't believe that it's right. been so, twenty years since that book first came out. No, and that was and his so tenth book. <laughs> wow, wow. Okay, so here's the thing guys. That was twenty years ago and when we were staying at Chris's house, she had packages coming every day. Like she had a pile of packages inside her front door from people that she had never met that had read their books, transformed their lives, and they're sending them. She, Chris gets gifts in the mail every day <laughs> from a book that was written 20 years ago and all the subs, uh, subsequent books after that in the series. And, I mean, people are, like, I, was, I read one of the notes. It was like, Dear Dr. Carlson and Christine Carlson, you all have changed my life. And, I mean, it's like tears. I was while I was holding this letter. So there's just so much that, that we all have to learn. Um, I mean, you guys were way ahead of your time, Chris. You were a New York Times bestselling author when there was no internet, when people actually had to go yeah. into bookstores and buy this book. I mean, that is how big this book helped 
the people on this planet to live a better life. Aww, I mean, you coined, you, know, you guys you. coined terms like paralysis, uh, analysis, analysis, paralysis, paralysis. <laughs> and all these other terms that are just like a part of the culture now and a part of psychology and a part of the coaching industry too. And so um, thank you for being here. Oh, you're so welcome. And oh my gosh, I, I reflect back to you and Jen, you know, just the powerful light that you have and the healing work that you're doing for the planet. And, you know, just for, I was just telling Jen on the phone a little while ago, like it's, you know, now I'm I'm in my 50s and I'm like, I'm so inspired by this whole new group of young healers and, you know, just thought leaders coming up and you know you're so progressive and i i love the work that you're doing with women and everyone and i you know i i just i can't say enough positive things about you i mean i i feel like just being around you is just like being around a great ignition switch to creativity for me so it's totally likewise (laughs) amazing and i'm looking forward to you getting to know uh our amazing co-host here, Alex Lightman, the amazing Alex Lightman. Well, I, I love everything that you've said. It's so it's what a magical occurrence that you would be on the show and that I would have the honor and pleasure of being Aww. able to talk with you. I know. Thank you, Alex. So fun. Uh, I've sold about twenty five thousand books, so it's very funny to be <laughs> um, talking to somebody who's sold a thousand times as many books as I have. That makes me almost want to cry too. Now I can see well, why these people were crying. 000? What people I'm don't happy know for is 25,000 is a great number. That's like a successful book. Like that's a super successful book. So congratulations about that. Well, let let me let, and Alex is being very humble. Um, Alex, how many words have you published on the future? He's one of he's one of uh, Cora's oh, about two top, million. Uh, yeah, he's. I mean, he's a he's a. He's a he's ha, he's made a big difference in the the future of the future of a lot of things and uh, he's a <laughs> anyway sell yourself a little bit here Alex <laughs> well sure um, I I guess I I'm an archetype of the not sweating the small stuff because I spend most of my time thinking about the big picture and the the future yeah. over the next nice. twenty to fifty to five thousand to in some cases, the heat death of the universe. So I guess I could even say looking 5 billion years ahead um, to this solar system and beyond. Um, And I like to understand how people can become smarter and how they can become stronger and how they can live longer. And I'm a bit obsessed with neurogenesis, creation of new brain cells. And I... So I, I'm always interested in, in what people can do that can help them to learn something. The, the basic idea of growing new brain cells is that you exercise for 45 minutes intensely and then new embryonic neural stem cells will be created and then you have to learn something new within 21 days. And so there's uh, this idea in America that you have to be really, really good and really, really focused and devote yourself to something professionally or to become an expert. But to grow your brain, you need to be youthful and curious. And I can hear in your voice that you're youthful and curious and you engage in lots of conversations and express gratitude. So I imagine that you're also an expert on growing your brain as well. Wow, yeah, I never really thought about it like that, but um, it's interesting because, you know, growing up in Oregon, I grew up um, at a time period where um, 
running, you know, wasn't even popular when I was 10 years old. My dad was a runner, and so I used to run and, and do, I mean, I've always exercised, like, a lot. And then there has always been this um, very adventuresome, curious spirit in me, you know, where I'm, like, I like to do new things. I like to try new things, you know. So even just, I was just at this outdoor summit with um, 200 women called Altessa, um and I was I went and as a speaker because I was really like wanting to try all these new outdoor sports like rock climbing and and supboarding and I mean I was the only one that fell off my supboard but that was pretty cool too because I had a little altitude sickness and the lake completely broke me out of that. <laughs> but anyways, I I appreciate what you're doing and what you just said because I think that. I think that is what keeps us young even. You know, even as we age, we age so much more gracefully when we can um, open ourselves to doing new things and being curious, always curious about our thinking, always curious about our mood, and always curious about what more does life have to offer us. Wow, I'm thrilled to hear that you are a runner, and that's part of the... But used to be. I'm not the, running as much anymore. I'm 53, and I put in like 35 years of running. <laughs> wow. So I I do break into intervals because it just gets my heart rate up. But I'm more of a hiker now, just to be clear about that. <laughs> well, 35 years of running really made a difference in your brain and your youthfulness. I mean, I can hear the energy, and uh, I I still run. I, I try to get do about a 22 minute 5k at least five or so times a week. Nice. Um, yeah, I, and I'm 54, so I'm in, oh, yeah, in the same cool. boat as far as running. But I encourage cool. you to, to go back to it if you can. And Though hiking is also quite wonderful. Uh, where do you hike? Well, I live in Northern California, and so I'm really literally like in a hiking mecca, kind of where um, John Muir used to do his exploring and part oh, of Oh, in Marin County. California. I'm not in Marin. I'm over in the East Bay in Martinez, but there's a um, park that I've lived next to my whole, like, adult life called Brioni's Park, and that's right where John Muir had a home. And so it's these just wonderful um, trails in the Alhambra Valley, and um, it's gorgeous. And then I do go over to Marin and hike a lot, and there's Mount Diablo that's close, and I have a place in Mount Shasta and at the coast, um, so I do a lot of walking and hiking in Mount Shasta area and also at the um, Sea Ranch, the Mendocino coastline. You sound like a person who's absorbed quite a, uh, absorbed quite a lot of natural beauty. What, what do you think the most beautiful spots are to go hiking in California? Well, I was just at um, Tahoe, you know, and I was just blown away by the beauty at Tahoe um, at South Shore. I was at Kirkwood at another one of those Altessa summits, and I thought that was incredibly beautiful. But I think, like, around the Mount Lassen area and Mount Shasta area, it's just, I mean, it's just pristine. You know, the air quality, as long as there's no fires going on, is beautiful, um, it just has that wide open, really rugged um, feel, you know, where you're really getting out into um, true nature, you know, and really just absorbing all the, I mean, I just, I get just so much from just being in the trees, you know, I love to like, even as a child, look up to the, um, through the redwoods and see the sunlight coming through. To me, that is just like glorious, you know, it's like, it just, it just feeds my heart and soul to feel you know, all the energy and the love of the trees. 
the, oh the Navajo say major... that there are different paths to, to knowledge and living in the world, and one of them is called Nijoni, N-I-Z-H-O-N-I. It means uh, the beauty way, and it sounds like you walk the Nijoni. You, you, look, you walk in life looking for beauty. I think, mm, you know, Alex, I, I think you that's very true. <laughs> yeah, so everything about Chris, she's got this eye for detail and an eye for beauty. And Jen and I were talking about this yesterday. When we were at her house, everything was an experience. Every coffee break, every meal, every dessert had a special plate and a special, um, it was like, it was, it was completely ceremonial and it was there's just so much beauty and so much intention in everything that you do chris and it it shows it shows um yeah thank you thank you i was joking with you about that because not in my closet it doesn't show (laughs) can i can i ask you a question sure what is the connection between running and hiking and reflecting on nature and being the kind of person who can speak and connect so well with the souls of people that you can sell 25 million books and bring people to tears. Is there a connection? Are there threads that make those things go together? Well, you know, recently I was just really thinking about that because I I never really realized how much, um, you know, growing up as a runner, a long-distance runner particularly, probably really did impact my ability to connect. And I think the connection is this, that the deeper that we can connect to our own self, like to our true nature, the essence of who we are. And, you know, sometimes we connect in very much of our painful, you know, our painful experiences actually bring us into a deeper awareness of who we are. And in my case, you know, when I lost my husband suddenly, you know, I mean, literally like we were, I was 43, he was 45, you know, he was suffering from um, some back injury that was latent from his tennis days. He was an amazing tennis player. I mean, we're talking world-class, played Wimbledon, was an All-American athlete, was number one at Pepperdine when I met him. I mean, he he had a 135-mile-an-hour serve, but his back was basically broken in his 40s. His lower lumbar spine completely gave out on him, and he was suffering a lot of pain um, just a couple of years before he died. And I, you know, but so I lost him very suddenly. He died from a pulmonary embolism on a flight. And it was a very unprepared, very much an initiation by, you know, I was definitely initiated by crisis. And I was really cracked completely open. You know, I'm, I was just so annihilated you know like I mean I I had not lived without this man since you know I knew him since I was 18 years old so I basically went from my father's house into his arms it was a very amazing love that we shared Um, we were best friends I truly did not know how to take a step without him and so but in that process of my ego just being completely annihilated what I began to witness and notice in my heartbreak was that I was open to receiving more love and more life. And I I really, 
hit a place of transcendence in my loss. Like I, I transcended much of this dimension and moved into another dimension for I'd say a couple of years, and then I kind of felt like I needed to ground back, like I I needed to be grounded in this life. He told me um, from the other side that we were twin flames, that I was always, he would always be with me. He would always be at my side. He would, he would be fanning my flame, but that I was meant to carry on on the earth while he did his work on the other side. And he said that all the teachers of love had to amp their ability to um, bring out their message because the world needed it more than ever and that he was called to the other side to do his work on the other side. And it was a really, really powerful transformational time for me, like a true awakening. I can see why people cry when you speak because I feel this stinging in my eyes, like, yeah. you know, like feeling something from what you say. What is it the words? Is it your energy? What What is it about what you say and how you say it that touches people and moves them? I think it's just the truth of it. You know, I really feel like the more authentic that we can express um, our feelings from the truth of who we are, you know, it opens the door for people to feel their own truth and feel, you know, their own essence. It's just, it's that's, I always can measure authenticity one way, and I can tell because if I can be myself completely in the presence of somebody else, then I can feel that they're like we're like mirrors of each other. And, you know, I mean, even our mirror neurons work that way, right? So it's like we're opening the door for hearts to connect if we can be as close to who we are as we know who we are, you know, and not be afraid to just say what comes from your heart, you know. And, I mean, I've learned to go on the platform for the most part and just speak from my heart and not not have, you know, sometimes I have an outline, sometimes I stick to the outline, sometimes I ditch the outline as soon as I walk up there, you know, and I just let it roll, you know, and I think that's what it is, you know, like I'm very unprepared for this interview, like most interviews I do, I don't, I never prepare for an interview. If somebody asks me to you send mean, talking points the, to them, the I say, you, no, I don't do that. <laughs> Pardon me? Yeah. I said, you mean, you mean you, you're not prepared uh, from the the 20 minutes ago that we decided that you decided to uh, do the show. Yeah. <laughs> so no, you guys, just... she was, she was on the phone with Jen. Her and Jen have been talking for about an hour and I was writing this show that you know, our, our, um, our, the guy we were supposed to be interviewing uh, had to bail last minute. Uh, let me know last night. So today I was like, well, Alex, you just, you want to talk about burning man and Costa Rica? And he was like, okay. And then I, was, I came out and asked Chris, I was like, Hey, do you want to be on the show in like 25 minutes? <laughs> and um, so yeah, here we are. Um, so, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, well, I think I really okay, think me, that's let, what let it me is, ask, Alex. Let me ask you a question. Think, oh, yeah. Let me ask you a question. So so okay. Alex was just, he was just asking you about, about your, the way that you speak, the way that your words have impact, the way that your mo words move a room. And um, in, in the way that we teach uh, in 5D business school, is we go through each dimension, the first dimension through the 12th dimension, how this relates to your life. And the seventh dimension is voice, is the congruence of our words and what's going on in, inside of us and the way that we speak them that moves a room to tears or to take action in their life. Um, so now my, my, my question to you is, 
how can people so any anytime there's a major trauma in someone's life, a major life-changing incident, it can be a huge upgrade and you use it as a huge upgrade. Now, how can somebody have a huge upgrade like this in 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 self-awareness and self-healing and self-love? How can they create that for themselves without the universe needing to step in and create it for them? Um, with one of these painful experiences? Okay, well, that's a great question. And I think um, what, what sort of my mission has been um, on a very deep level is, is just exactly that. Like one of the reasons, there was somebody on our Costa Rica trip. He was um, the really cute Asian, younger-looking man. Do you, what was his name? Yeah. I can't, but he was so cute. Anyways, he, he came up to me after I told my story, and he said, you know, I worry about you that you constantly relive that story. And I said, you know, don't worry about me because I relive that story so that you don't have to. I I tell that story so that you can wake up to your life without having that phone call that I had that devastated every cell of my being. That, you know, I I, I do that so that people can wake up to love and wake up to their lives without having to go through that because it's 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 a very hard path to get that hit upside the head by the universe it's really hard and i think you know it, it, it there's few people that if they don't know that the fertile ground and the the opening and the awakening that can happen i just feel like i was this was my soul contract you know i feel like my sole contract with Richard was that one of us would, you know, and it was him clearly, that we would have this great love and it would last um, for, you know, 25 years and then I would be broken open to this, you know, deep awakening to life in such a, a, a profound way so that I could teach what I've learned. And, and I, you know, and so the, when you're... When you've accepted your role, as you know, as a spiritual teacher or a teacher of any kind, then it's different because, like, I go there and I go there with the intent not to put myself through the drama again, but to open and awaken other people so that they can learn and grow through my experience, you know, through my words. And, and that's, you know, that's in essence my deeper mission, really. Yeah, and, and I mean you've you you grew up at the at the feet of spiritual masters, and so tell me what is what is it that you learned from them that you're taking forward into the future, and what is it that you've learned from being on your own path that other people can can look to their future and create um, create that spiritual upgrade for themselves. Well, and okay. we like to no. we like to tell people three things that they can do at, during each radio yeah. show to take a, okay. a first step. So, I, if I could toss in as a um, a caboose on what Ben just said, um, if there's any way you could tell us how to be a best-selling author, that would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's another show. <laughs> <laughs> We would have to compare for that show. <laughs> I can give you the spiritual Sounds answer good. You're, to that. Sounds good. You're booked whenever you want. Just pick a Friday and it's yours. So, yes, yes. I say yes, please, to that. 
I, I can give you the spiritual answer to that for sure. Yeah. Okay, so um, so what you want me to say is three things that um, can help people step what toward more of a spiritual awakening kind of so life. Let's, let's, that... let's do you're you're special, so you get two. You get two <laughs> three things, so six total. <laughs> three three things around. Let's look at. Can you give us three things around? Um, how to, like the future of love, the future of love through any pain that people have experienced, the future of, of like what is it that, that humanity hasn't caught on to yet that if they did would change everything, would bring a level of self-love to this planet that just hasn't been there yet. So three things people can do for more love for themselves and then, of course, three things on on how to be a massively successful New York Times bestselling author. I mean, there's a lot of people right now teaching, um, doing some really good work around how to be an Amazon bestselling author. But that's, you know, it's not usually legacy work. It's usually kind of like a business card, how to promote your business. What you're doing is a completely different thing, and not everybody's cut out for it, but what are three things that, that, that anybody can do to be the best writer possible and have the biggest impact with their words? Okay. Um, well, the first, like, let's go with the first topic on the future of love. Um, the first thing I would say that everyone on the planet needs to do is you have to find your form of meditation and celebration of life, beginning at the very beginning of your day and then sometime throughout the rest of your day to return to that quiet place many, many times. So what I like to say is that um, how you start your day is how you live your day. And so who, no matter who you are, if you if you start your day like on fire, you know, like setting out, like say you get on your email first thing in the morning while you're on your coffee and you, you notice something that's annoying and it, it lights your fire in, in sort of a negative way, you will find your day to kind of follow suit with that. But rather if you get up really peacefully and you have a, a peaceful practice, a mindful practice, whatever that is for you, you know, it could be like listening to quiet music and reading inspirational words. It could be meditation, which is what it is for me. It could be anything. It could be going for a walk and being in nature and just being quiet, not with tunes playing in your ears necessarily, just really setting in with the stillness. I think that's really like how you kind of set your day is, is by how you start your day. That would be the first thing, the most easiest thing that people can do to really invite spirit to be in their lives on an on a ongoing basis throughout the day. And then find that place inside, that quiet place, and be able to tune into it. Um, in my work, I do, I teach what's called a golden pause. And, um, and that golden pause is a very quick four-breath exercise where you tune into your heart and you open your heart to gratitude. You know, being grateful is the most resonant, heart-resonant form of anything. Like, so HeartMath does all this great research, right, on, on the intelligence of the heart. And they say that even more than love, gratitude creates this resonant heartbeat in your heart so that when your heart is resonant, it's just like going boom, boom, 
boom, boom, boom. But when it's not and you're angry or you're experiencing something really negative, your heart is really erratic and it's not healthy for you emotionally or for your heart as a muscle, as an organ. So being able to tune into what you're grateful for, what what are the blessings of your life. One of the things in my loss that I was really clear about was early on I had a conversation with myself and I, I sat at my fireplace and I shook my head and I could literally see myself go down two paths. I could li- literally see myself put my covers over my head and just feel like I was going to die along with Richard. Or I could see myself honoring him, honoring our life, honoring all the amazing blessings I had been given. You know, I had lived a life of a fairy tale dream alongside a man who was so transformative and so light and so unconditional in his love. He healed me. And I loved, he counted for so much in my life that I remember saying to myself, my God, if he had to die in, in the middle of our peak performance in this world, this had better count for something great for me. This had better really, really count. And I remember knowing that there weren't any accidents, that this was somehow part of the plan. And believe me, it wasn't that I wasn't pissed about it. I was pissed <laughs> off. Like I had moments where I, was, I would just say the most, they were hilarious, but they were really rude things. And, <laughs> and my friends would just shake their head, you know, like, because I'm just that way. I'll just come out with just whatever's on my mind, a little bit of Tourette syndrome or something. I don't know, but I'll just say it. And, and, um, and, but I'll tell you what, I, deep down in my heart of hearts, I knew, I knew that this was meant to be, and I knew that I would be able to transcend if I just if I just surrendered, you know, and that's the last thing because I could go on and on, but I'll say that a certain amount of life requires, in fact, a lot of life requires surrender, and we think of, you know, we're in this illusion of control for most of our lives. We think that it's all about our goals and all about our plans and all about our busyness and and then, boom, you know, something happens that completely rocks our world. It's either you fall in love with somebody, that can happen, they can rock your world that way, or you lose love, and that rocks your world. So, Or, you know, you have the news that your life is going to change because you've, you have life-altering news about your health, or something somebody you love dearly has life altering news you're you're dealing with an addictive child or or, or you know a, a child who's having a big life problem that's the same as us going through it ourselves when we're parents you know i mean but there's a certain amount of surrender and allowance that has to happen for true healing for true um spiritual existence, you know, to realize that there's a divine plan and order. And it's just Joseph Campbell's work is so profound to me for this reason because, you know, he you always... You the hero with 10,000 faces or which which work? Well, like the hero's journey and also the whole journey. idea that you have to let go of the life that you've planned to live the life that's been planned for you. And, you know, I just, I feel like that work is so profound and I didn't even know about him before I went through my loss. But of course, I I saw so many, um, 
you know, just overlaps between the things that I would insight and the things that he had already said. So I think those are the three things that I would say. Um, and if you want to recap those, I was in such a mode of transmission. I have no idea what I just said. So you guys are going to have to recap. That. <laughs> uh, I love it. Well, I heard, I heard uh, gratitude. Um, I heard have gratitude. I heard have you know, wake up every morning and before you get on email, before you get on phone calls, create your day. What is your day going to look like? By how the way, you Christine. Start your day is how you live your day. Yeah, I can't wait. Uh, I can't wait for you when you come visit to, to to write your next book and just be in this jungle here and I just know, start your day so looking out these windows at the jungle and the monkeys and the parrots. Love that. Um, and then gratitude, and I love gratitude. And you know what's even what's even higher vibration than gratitude is celebration. Celebration is gratitude plus energy, right? So every time uh-huh. Jen and I. Every time something exciting happens to us, we put on music and we celebrate. We dance like crazy people. And it's That's such awesome. a high energy. It's like, it's like gratitude with, uh, like, like on steroids. Yeah, right? <laughs> really cool. Yeah, it's like gratitude turning up the volume. Um, and then the third, one, the third one you said was, uh, Alex, do you remember the third Surrender. one you said? Surrender. I was in a trance. Oh yeah, surrender to to what is and create um create from that. Am I right? Yep. Be broken open and surrender to what is and allow, you know, allow for healing, allow for um being, you know, led, being divinely led. Um that requires surrender in order to receive divine guidance. You have to become the vehicle. You can't you can't operate you don't like navigate the vehicle you actually become the vehicle for the divine inspiration to flow through you and it comes through surrender oh okay so now are we on to the best-selling books (laughs) i think that's i think that's what the people want to (laughs) hear okay first three things to creating a legacy brand and best-selling book all right so I'll tell you that my husband's 10th book was became his um, really his huge, phenomenal success. So Don't Sweat the Small Stuff was born out of 10 years of writing. And for those first 10 years, you know, I mean, we were, we were struggling, like as, you know, a young family, two young kids, you know, house payments, you know, just we were kind of getting a little more in debt as time went on. And even um, my favorite story is when um, – Richard was thinking he had to get a real job. Like he really was like he he had written, I don't know, his fifth book and um, he didn't get a very large advance on it. And um, he he was super despondent because he was feeling like, oh, my God, this isn't how I want to live. I don't want to live in debt. Maybe I should go to a human resource department. We're having this conversation. We were out for dinner one night. I was like, no, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. (laughs) Writing is your thing. You know, this is what you're made for. And we go home. I walk in the house. The phone rings. It's like 7 o'clock at night. phone rings. This woman's on the other end. She says, hi, um, this is Alice McGee from the Oprah Winfrey Show. Um, You know, the strangest thing just happened. I was bent in our library, and um, I was looking for a book on stress management, and your husband's book, You Can Be Happy No Matter What, popped off the top shelf and hit me in the back of the head. (laughs) 
<laughs> it had to have been she that happened to her 15 minutes before, right when we were having that conversation about him <laughs> quitting his soul work. And so he he walks in. She says, "Do you think your husband can be on um, the plane tomorrow to appear on an Oprah Winfrey panel?" I go. Hey Richard, do you think you can be on a plane tomorrow to appear on the <laughs> Oprah Winfrey show? <laughs> you know, I mean, these are the timing of things that, you know, I mean, just you can't. That's impeccable timing of, you know, serendipity, you know, whatever you want to call it. I call it like little, little sparks of heaven on earth when you get these divine, you get this divine guidance, right? Because you're about ready to do a landmark. Um, wrong turn and the divine says no wait you've got to be back on course you know and that's exactly what happened for Richard you know that didn't change his total career but what it did for him was tell him stay the course keep riding the right keep path. working you're on the right path and it and it did it did list him as an up and comer you know it really did put him he was a doctor of psychology it put him he put them out there in you know to 20 million viewers in a way that they wouldn't know who he was otherwise. So, you know, so stay the course. You know, that's the first thing I'd say. If you feel like you have a message, you know, it might not be your first book, it might not be your second book, it might not be your ninth book, but it very well could be your tenth book. <laughs> and then you might, and then you that's might great, really. That's great hit, advice. Um, what? What do you think people are looking for when they buy a book? What are they trying to to get from that okay. book? Well, and that's the other thing in the title. Um, your title has to be so spot on to your message. I mean, you have one second to grab somebody like with that title, and it has to be so spot on to your message and your promise. You know, it has to say exactly what that book has in it for them. And it could only be one word. It could be five words. But it has to be quick, short, and meaningful. And so so you need to be really on point, you know, with your messaging and also what you're promised. Like what what are you promising your reader? You know, um, that's like the really key antidote is what are you promising? Like what can you deliver? What are you 100% with your whole heart and soul with everything in your being sure that you can deliver if they read that book and it's got to be in the title. That's the second I li- thing. I like it. It sounds good. May I ask an, uh, another unrelated question, uh, unrelated to this, but you mentioned something. You said an addicted child. I'm working on a protocol, a new protocol for people to help them to get off of drugs, you know, to deal with drug addiction. Do you have advice? How do you think that that people could and should be getting off drugs. We have like yeah, 40 I do. million I mean, addicts I, I in the United eating, States. I had an eating disorder when I was an, um, a young teen, and and it lasted, you know, I didn't really fully recover until I was pregnant with my first daughter. Like I was 90, I'd say 95% recovered, but I fully recovered, fortunately, during my, you know, when I found out I was pregnant. I didn't want to carry over that energy into my child. And so, but I'll tell you, I mean, it's not, I don't, you know, I don't know the brain science of it or anything, but for me, what cured me of addiction was my, um, I made this association that I had 
somehow slumped into in my um, teens a feeling of not worthiness of um, of love and not worthiness of spiritual guidance or spiritual connection. And so I was in a spiritual void. And what really healed me was finding my way back to my spirituality in a way that um, was more all-encompassing than my, Christi- my, my Christian upbringing. I, I was super sensitive and super, like, um, I really loved going to church when I was little. I, I had a real deep spiritual experience when I was five at um, that I wrote about in Heartbroken Open about being at Sunday school and really feeling Jesus, like feeling him next to me and feeling him hold me because I really missed my mom. But then suddenly I felt him and I didn't miss my mom anymore. And so I I had that in me, but then I, I grew up in a very um, evangelical Christian home. I I was, I think, super sexual by nature, naturally. I was a really vivacious child and I didn't know how to navigate my sexuality in my teens with my Christian upbringing. And I'd even ask my dad, like my dad would take me out to a yearly, maybe a a biannual dinner, just the two of us on a date. And I was six, I think I was 16. And I had my first love boyfriend. I was almost 17. And I was really thinking about having sex with him. And I remember asking my dad, dad, well, you know, you've always told me I'm supposed to be a virgin when I'm married, but are you, were you a virgin when you were married? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, my dad looks at me and goes, oh, Christ. Like, <laughs> He's like, oh, God, what go. a question. You know, and so he kind of, I don't know, remember what he said? He sort of skirted around the answer, and he said, my mom was. That's what he said. Well, your mom was. And um, that, you know, I think the unworthiness I felt at at not being able to meet the expectations and the guilt I felt, and I had a bunch of other stuff um, happen, like, like I almost was raped one night by a boyfriend I really loved and trusted who really knew what my limits were and, you know, all those kinds of things. It just took me in a – and kind of it took me into my valley of darkness and – I went through the eating disorder, and the way I came out of it was really by a, and by getting really clear about um, that spirituality didn't mean going to church. It meant about connecting to love and connecting to spirit and, and being on a journey with it, you know, being like, like on a whole, hand-holding journey with spirit every single day, that life itself is a spiritual practice. And being, you know, tuned in and kind and mindful and every response being a response, not a reaction. And, you know, and, and, you know, just children are great spiritual teachers. They teach us so much about life and about being tuned into everything from that place as well. So, you know, and I learned so much from different gurus about ego, and that was a huge, you know, for me, like, if you did nothing else on your spiritual path but you... Um, thought about dismantling your ego on a daily basis and not reacting from your ego and and not allowing your ego to cause suffering in your life and all of that, that would be enough. That would be a spiritual practice that would evolve you and enlighten you. Wow. Thank you. That was very beautiful. There's just something, I I feel a a buzziness like in my face and in my spine from (laughs) listening to you talk. This kind of electricity (laughs) 
that's so interesting. So, uh, Alex, what, how can you how can you integrate everything she just said into your your protocol? And I mean, I know that a lot of addiction stems from, like she said, stems from not having the human interaction, the human connection with healthy people, with other people that are not also addicted. It, it's funny, but we had I had a uh, a meeting yesterday with a therapist who's been treating people for uh, decades named Susan, who also does theater and improv. And she, uh, we, we got around to it that I, I found what I found with many people. Many therapists who don't burn out are drawn to shamanism and uh, shamanic practices, but they're not allowed to talk about it or they don't talk yeah. about it uh, because I could sort of, I hear it when people know this sort of stuff. I can hear it in, in a little word here or there. And we, we talked have about the fact that several psychologists and psychotherapists in our healing modality, and they all come in like saying, "Look, I love what I do. I want to transform people, and I, I've been limited. So, um, what else is there?" So, yeah, the, sh- the shamanism. There's so much. There's so much in that. Well, the, but there's one thing in particular uh, that to answer your question, how to integrate it together. Um, when because I, I ask that question of almost everybody that I meet who is spiritual. And 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 uh, when we have a conversation that's like this, and then they, it always comes up that they say, well, insurance companies don't reimburse for spirituality, and uh, I'm not sure whether that's you know that's it's sort of a conversation killer. I'm not sure that it should be uh, because there, you can still have something be part of a protocol that's meant to heal even if it's not reimbursed for insurance. But most practitioners aren't interested in providing it if it's not reimbursed. Well, there's so much a way to get around that, though. I mean, you don't have to call something spiritual for it to be spiritual. Right. We were looking into that for, we were actually looking into getting, so our our COO, the woman that runs our company, uh, she used to have her own multi-million dollar insurance business. And so she she, she was looking at ways uh, for us to get in there under one of their um, uh, lines of code to be able to offer our services for insurance. Um, and, you know, one thing that I've heard from a lot of our psychotherapist friends, doctor friends, is that it's such a huge pain in the ass even being uh, just that just even if even if you can accept insurance, even if insurance will cover it, they make it such a hassle that people don't even want to deal with it. I mean, they'd rather charge less than have to deal with the insurance industry. So we should talk about the future of the industry, uh, insurance industry at some point. I'm sure. That's fine. What is, the, uh, what is your daily routine, your daily practice? Like, describe a, a good day, what you do and how you feel about it, because I'm eager to start tomorrow uh, and practice what you were talking about earlier. And I'd love to hear, because I know I'll have a good morning and they'll go, okay, well, what comes next? You <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, I, I kind of wake up at the crack of dawn, truly. Like, I, I wake up, I, I try to go to bed really early because I wake up, I have roosters. I've always had roosters around, right? So I sleep a lot better and longer when I'm not at home because there's no roosters. I figured that out, you know, so... I have roosters that start waking me up around 4.30 in the morning. And I love it, though, because what happens for me is I go to bed early enough to where as long as I get about, you know, seven to eight hours of sleep, um, I'm I'm good. You know, if I wake up at 4.30 and I've had a good night's sleep, I'm good to go. And 
So I wake up and I get a glass of water. You know, I sort of gingerly step on my feet these days. My feet are a little sore sometimes. <laughs> and then I, I go back to my bed and I sit and I meditate, you know, very quietly for 10 to 20 minutes. You know, I try to do 20 because I've been practicing TM now for a few years and I try to do 20, but if I only do 10, it's fine for me because I've meditated for so many years. I, I drop in really quickly. So then I um, I turn on some music, and it's usually, for me, I love chanting. So I'm like a Deva Pramal. I love her stuff and Mitten, their stuff. I love to listen to some sort of um, Hindu chanting in the morning, and I kind of find myself singing along with it. And I usually um, make some coffee. I like my coffee in the morning. I, it makes me really happy to drink my coffee. <laughs> so I get I get some coffee. Some people do hot water and lemon. I do hot water and lemon sometimes before my coffee just because it's easier on the stomach and better for you. But then I take my coffee back and I open my computer and I generally um, start to work. Like I call it work, but... It's really, that's my inspiration time. So a lot of times I'll share on my Facebook page what I got in my morning meditation. And um, I won't necessarily say that, but it will be something very personal on my Facebook page. And then I'll um, start to work on my, you know, my blog. Like I tend to like write um, when I feel very inspired to write, but I don't write when I'm not inspired to write. I don't ever force myself to write something that is going to be published when I do not feel a source of inspiration. I just won't do it. I won't create any content from that place. So, And that's the same with my podcast. If I don't feel inspired well, to do my Christine, podcast, I, don't, I, don't, I won't do it. I'll sit down when I feel super inspired. And, um, and then when I'm inspired, just stuff just, you know, comes through me. Like I don't... So I don't think really hard on it at all. In the case where you're not inspired, do you wait to be inspired or do you create inspiration? Do you have practices of ways to create inspiration? So like for me, I was saying we, we dance. Like if we put on music and dance around like crazy people, we get inspiration. For me, hiking brings inspiration to me. What are your inspiration practices? Well, surely, you know, my whole life is fairly inspirational, quite honest. Like, I, I really right. I really live, like, a very, like, um, I live based on what I want to do. It's, it's, it's so amazing and such a blessing. Like, I honestly just, I don't, I have my assistant do all my calendaring, so I don't even manage my own calendar. I, I get my calendar by text from her in the morning. <laughs> And then I, you know, I fill in the blanks. So my, my whole thing is like, just live by inspiration. So if I, and that's how I know I'm like, Oh, what do I feel like doing? And then, you know, I mean, I do have a structured calendar because I, you know, do a lot of stuff, but like today, for example, I had on my calendar, I said, well, Carol, can you block out three days? I need to design the don't sweat the small stuff e-course that's coming out this year and she blocked off the Don't Sweat the Small Stuff e-course on my calendar. But you know what? I don't think I feel like writing that today. So here I'm on the radio <laughs> with you, you know. And I, I think that um, when I try and force things out of me, it doesn't come from a place of authenticity and it doesn't come from the divine. You know, it's not – it's like – and for me – 
it just I see myself as a vehicle. In fact, there's a prayer that I say um, whenever I'm going to speak, whenever I'm going to write, I say, Divine Love, please play me in your orchestra of life. Play me as the finely tuned instrument that I am in your orchestra of life. And just come through me. And I ask for that constantly. And that was Richard's prayer too, is is to ask the divine to come through and to and to be that instrument. And that's the way, you know, in a lot of ways, if you think about it, that takes all the pressure off you to create. Yeah. You know, you don't have to create. Like, it's going to be created through you. And that's so do you so have stress-free creativity? So is this everything that you write come from saying, I want to be an instrument and have it be a channel for it, and then you don't have to have any stress? Is that... Is that yeah, part of your, I'd say it's wow, that's amazing. I, I, <laughs> that was worth like thousands of dollars to me. I love that. Thank yeah, you. it's very stress-free. You know, like the only thing I think, like, oh, I went through a process with the mom's book. That was very interesting to me. Um, I felt a lot of pressure with that book. It was the, It was sort of like for me it was an interruption in the series. Like I always thought I'd never – change that series because it's what we and me and Richard did together and I I so for the first few years I'm like no I'm not touching that series it's it's got to remain this total you know what Richard did and what we did together and sort of like this monument to our life and then it came up like well you should write don't sweat the small stuff for moms and so I was like okay and then I couldn't write for the first time in my whole life I couldn't write and I had to go through this whole process of acknowledging all the ways I was a shitty mom. <laughs> and, like, like I had to, like, sit down because I felt this pressure of creating this amazing book for moms. And I, and I was like, oh, my God, I don't think I'm qualified. I think I'm a shitty mom sometimes. And, and, and then I went through this whole process of writing out, like, every way that I – why I was not qualified to write this book, every way I had let down my kids – every way that I, I hadn't shown up, you know. And then it was so interesting because then I looked at all those things and I said, oh, this is Spirit's way of, of, of telling you that you can't write this book from a voice of, oh, I know all the answers. You have to write this voice from of, of the voice of, look what I've uncovered by taking a look at my successes and my own failures. And how can how is this self-criticism there to teach me something about that I can teach others, you know, like how can I use that self-criticism and turn it around into being a great cheerleader for this book, you know, and I sort of just went through that whole process. It took a little while. I was in a mastermind and they were cracking up because I shared it all with them. I went through, you know, I I told them all the ways I was a shitty mom. It was like some like recovery process or something and and then um and then I came out of it and then the book just poured out of me like everything else. So but I, I definitely have had those sticky times but in my work now I haven't experienced that, you know, since two thousand twelve. Um in fact my blog is very much very personal. Like I kind of weave in and out of this diary kind of blog to also writing about deep spirituality and it and it's sort of like they're both it's both it just kind of weaves in and out like i write about the stuff that people don't like to talk about for the most part and um and i write it in a way that makes it very poetically beautiful 
to look at. Like there's always a reason why if you look at this and you and you do this that you're going to be living your most vibrant life. So I love that. Let me ask Thank you a you. question. That was Some, great. I appreciate it. No, something there's you said, something ahead, you said. Is there is there a delay? I've got to fix this delay thing. Um, it was something you said probably about a year ago to us, and I remember you saying that the 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 don't sweat the small stuff for dads didn't sell as well as everything else. Was that something that you wrote from a not inspired place? Um, what oh, do you, you think mean it the, was about the men's book? Yeah, I, I don't remember exactly what it was. but Yeah, don't sweat the small sure supermans. No, you know the reason why that one didn't sell is because um, it got interrupted by 9-11. It, Richard was on book tour. In fact, he was slated to be on that flight back to San Francisco that went down in, I think that's the one that went down in Pennsylvania, right? Like. Whoa. He was, he was on that flight, and he changed his flight um, because we had Madonna tickets on Friday night. So he told he he was on that flight and he said, I got to get home on Friday. I can't stay till Tuesday. So um so that blew us away and and then um that you know whenever there's like a huge media event that happens like that when you're in a book launch and you're in a book like everything stops. Like all media stopped, everything. Well, and that was the hugest event of the United States. So you know, that was a yeah. world huge event. So, uh, you know, that we, we tracked that. That was why that book never, it didn't ever pick up as much. Um, so there's not really a learning experience in here for us then is what no, you're saying. No, <laughs> no, that was as authentic as all the rest of them. It just, and, and it's, you know, it just, it just hit, it hit that snag with, you know, with the book tour. Now I wrote women, I wrote Don't Sweat the Small Stuff for Women right before that, like the year before and that did just as it just did very very well. So it just was the timing. So now there's there's a way that you speak and and a way that you write. So uh, um, when you were on the phone with Jen earlier, you were talking about uh, the title for your next book, and just every you know that was one of the things you said is have a killer title. You have the most killer titles, and I mean, even so, we one of the things that we're trying to that, that we're teaching the people in our 5D business school right now is is how to create their their niche, how to create their their what do you do statement, right? How to talk about what you do, and it's it's just so hard to keep it concise and in alignment. And so, how do you how do you put yourself? So there, it's a vibration that you have, like it's a it's a radio frequency that you have, like you said, so finely tuned that you're just wide open to it. And it's it's interesting. I call Jen my finely tuned instrument. I call her my secret weapon. <laughs> and it's just my job to take care of her and make sure she has pillows and blankets around her at all times and keep her fed She's and, the and water. Fork. Yeah, <laughs> she is. So how do you, can you tell us, how do you tap into that? So it's a prayer, and then is it just the getting out of the way? You said you're great at dropping it in meditation. What's the correlation between meditation and writing? Uh, what can you say about that? Well, a lot of it is just the whole mind-body-spirit thing, to be really honest with you. Like, I, I mean, I notice if I'm physically not feeling well, it's a lot harder for me to be inspired. But So I look to my body, in fact, I was just saying to my daughter the other day, you know, something about like, you know, she gets kind of annoyed with me because I'm always saying, look to your body, look to your body, you know. Because <laughs> right. to me, the body the is the most obvious 
you know, you can check on your feelings of your body in the most obvious way by just tuning into it, right? And so issues I are in the tissues. Yeah, so I noticed that first. Like I'm I'm really, really huge like into um asking my body what what do I need that I'm not giving you? You know, like what what's going on with you that you're not feeling good, you know? And I get really direct answers. You know, I I know what I need when I when I'm not feeling great. And you know, and I just start that's part of the discipline, right? Is just is to discipline yourself in a way that you can um do your self care and it it to be a really a really finely tuned instrument, you really have to you got to be able to tune into your body. That's such the, the mind-body-spirit connection is there's no separateness in any of them. You know, if you're spiritually suffering, your body's suffering too and vice versa. So your mind is at the core of that, you know. And I clear, I, I'm probably really, this sounds bad, and I'm not saying this in a criticism of myself, but I can really be like an airhead. I mean, honestly, <laughs> I have a lot of space between my thoughts. And <laughs> You know, not only am I blonde, but I, you know, I really can. But that to me is a good thing because the more space that you can create in your own thinking, the more opportunity you have to allow divine inspiration to show up and be there. And then you see it because you're not wow, all cluttered up. Wow, thank you for that. That's an awesome insight. I really just had a, a little electrical charge from that. The yeah, more I mean, space remember, you have, like, the have more... Have you ever tried to like wow. think really hard on something and then you don't come up with any solution and then suddenly you jump in the shower in and the, the shower. solution's there? <laughs> yeah. Happen, happens <laughs> all the time. I get my solutions when I'm running or when yeah. I'm biking. I have a nice bike path. It's a 30-mile long bike path along the beach from Santa Monica to Palos Verdes Peninsula. And I'll be just rolling along on my bike, not thinking of anything, and all of a sudden, boom, it'll hit me like, like lightning. Right, yep. and so, so my best so inspiration you've, you've is coming in the shower into, or on the pot. Right, right. So you've gone, you, you've taken your mind off of what you're trying to think of a solution for. It creates space in your thinking for the solution to show up, and that's the same as creativity. So, I think of it like what I do is I always ask myself a question, and so this is what I'll do a lot of times is I'll sit down and say, "Okay, Chris, what do you know about this?" Like, like honestly, like one of the things that Richard always taught me that was so powerful is he said, just speak on what you know. Don't, don't ever deviate into land you don't understand or you've never navigated or territory that's unchartered because you may not, you, you could get in some trouble that way, but just ask yourself, what do I know? Like, what, what do I feel really comfortable with? Like, what, where am I, what, what can I really share that's coming from a true place of, of experience, you know? And so a lot of times when I sit down to blog or something, I'll either ask myself, well, what's going on with you right now? Or I say, what do you feel like sharing today, Chris? You know, what do you feel like sharing? And then if that doesn't work, I go to another question. Questions are great. At, and you ask, you know, when you ask a question to the divine or you're in prayer and your prayer is about question, you're basically saying, I don't have a clue right now. Like I'm totally open to having something drop in because I am on my knees. <laughs> Right, and then suddenly something's just there, and it just pours out of you. Mm, that's so beautiful, and that's um, that's. I, I think that's what we talk about in. I think it's the ninth dimension, is the ebb, and is the creating the space for 
inspiration to come in and creating space for for your higher self come in because you know we try to control everything here on earth and yeah <laughs> as humans uh, we try to we think our our big brains are going to figure it all out but even the brightest minds in history it, it wasn't from their big brain it was from them getting the information I mean the brain has you know quite a bit to do with integrating it uh, and 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 creating a translator that can put it into words but the it, the information and inspiration comes in from another place, and we really do have to give it credit for that. And to to try to create something before the ebb is disastrous. I mean, to try to create something before the inspiration and before uh, we're told what it is that we're supposed to be writing and in congruence with can be disastrous. Well, it can be really hard, and I think the joy when you you know when you're in the field of creativity and writing, you're in it because it brings it's a joy for you, you know. And at least that's how my interpretation is. And the joy is stolen from you when you when you don't when you feel like it's you know like you're on deadline and you can't you just you just feel like you have to do it, you know. I mean, and when I'm writing a book, I I don't expect myself to write a book in any less than six months. I would never, ever attempt to write a book in anything shorter than six months. And I do that because I realize that there's just going to be days. Well, now that I'm in menopause and I'm not menstruating anymore, I'm actually so much more balanced than I was when I was a younger woman. I mean, I had some pretty serious PMS times and moods when I was younger, you know, and I wouldn't be able to write when I was feeling that way because I just felt like I was going to, you know, I, I was going to just, I don't know, I just didn't feel like myself, you know. So now I'm just so like, I'm just so like even-tempered all the time. I don't have to deal, I don't have very many moods anymore. It's so wonderful. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like oh, my God, I'm just, I'm just like, I totally love life now. I feel so even and just so like comfortable oh. every day and good and Everybody says menopause is so awful. I'm like, what's awful about this? This is great. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Um, so, I'm like, you know, this one is the, so great. One of the things that that you that you said that I just I that I love, 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 and that everyone on the planet needs to hear is when you were talking about Richard getting ready to quit, and you know, I mean, everybody that's Everybody that's been successful has come to the point where they're ready to quit. And I, what you're saying right now is that it gets easier, right? It, as long as you're focused on it, as long as you know what you're doing, it gets easier. So so keep going. And when the voice says, you've got to stop, when the voice says, it's, this isn't working, I quit, I'm going to do something else, right? Stay focused, stay with it. And then, I mean, everything happens for a reason. Everything is a learning experience. And well, wasn't it like I, I Thomas love... Edison who said, like, he, what did he try the light bulb like a thousand yeah. times before it actually lit up, you know? I mean, and he, I mean, it's like yeah, most he people. A ways not to make a light bulb. Right. And most people, they quit right before their big opportunity, their big shift is going to happen in their career. You know, they quit because they don't have that knowledge or that tenacity to just stick with something, you know, because it's in their heart. I mean, there's like a. And that's also part of an initiation, you know, is to be able to stick with something even though it's a struggle, you know, like to to even though like you'll have your enough success to keep you on the path, but there's times of struggle, you know, and 
And I think just to be able to move through those times of struggle and and to stay with something long enough for it to really come to fruition, that's, that's I think, any great leader or any great thought leader or any any person that's created anything that's, you know, is is big has done that. They've they've gone through Have their suffering. Have you written the small stuff for entrepreneurs? No, I haven't done that one yet. That would be a great book, though. Oh my gosh, I would love to talk about that book with you. Yeah, there's like we have done with the small stuff at work. You know, for yeah. corporate. Yeah, like, it's, a to- it's a totally different. It's a totally different. Uh, genre though it's a totally yeah. different thing being an entrepreneur and being out on oh, your own is. and not knowing if you're going to be able to make enough money to pay rent or eat and then i need to go back to my job and then i'll read the book about how to not to swat, sweat the small stuff in my job but <laughs> yeah I mean, so how so generally i always say look if you, like in order to be a massively successful entrepreneur you have to be massively stubborn and hard-headed and I mean, there's, you know, Jen looked up the, the stats the other day of, of just wealth, even just in the U.S. And, you know, like the, the amount of millionaires, I think, is, is like 0.01% of the population or 0.1% of the U.S. population is a millionaire, uh, has made a million dollars, right? And then the, and then like, I think it's like 2% are making over six figures, right? So it's like two out of every hundred people is making the amount of money that that entrepreneurs want to be making. And so like from that alone you know that it takes a certain level of stubbornness and willingness to do what 98% of the population is not willing to do. They just don't have the willingness to do it. And the same stuff comes up for every single person, for every successful entrepreneur, the same stuff comes up for um, the people that haven't quite made it yet. And the difference is just, you know, in the successful entrepreneur, they just see it as, okay, how am I going to grow from this? What can I create from this rather than a wall that's going to put you back? So how would you say that? And, and I, I know, I mean, you are a powerful woman. You're, you're, very, you're very feminine. You're very much in your divine feminine. And I've also, I've witnessed your amazing masculine energy come out, your stubborn energy, your divine feminine chaos come out. I mean, not in any big way, but it's just, it, it's just a word or two, right? It's just all you have to do is speak a word or two, and there's, a, there's an energy in there. So how would you say that your stubbornness has played into success? Because every single stubborn woman we have ever worked, or every single successful woman we've ever worked with has also been very, very stubborn. And um, it's just an indicator of one of the tools for the tool belt, not to be stubborn all the time, but to be able to take it out and use it when, when you know you're supposed to be doing something and the world says no, and you say, yeah, this is what I'm doing. So how would you say that uh, integrates into what you do? Well, I think, you know, tenacity is the same word as stubbornness in a lot of ways. You know, that um, probably my long-distance running and, you know, taught me and Richard's tennis, his hours and hours and hours on the tennis court you know, we always talked about how life, you know, when, you're, when you've been an athlete and in any capacity, and like let's say running a marathon, you know, I, I ran many marathons um, in my youth because I ran every walkathon I ever signed up for. And I also ran the San Francisco Marathon in my 30s. And if you look at like completion of something really long, like that, that feels like at some point, 
during that race or that time, you just didn't think you might not have it in you to finish. You know, like I definitely yes. hit the wall at 20, 22 miles. I had four miles to go, and Richard, fortunately, was running alongside of me because if I had seen him, I did the leukemia um, training marathon um, when I did mine so that I raised money for the Leukemia Society. Team in, team in training. Team in training, the American yeah, team Le- in training. Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Yeah, it raises yeah. like $800 million a year. Good, yeah, good yeah, and and so I did that back in my 30s, and, and then Richard decided he'd already qualified for the Boston Marathon like a couple years earlier, but he didn't. He decided not to run it because it didn't work out with his timing and stuff. But then he thought, well, my goal was to break four hours on a marathon, and he thought, well, I could probably do that with her without training too much. And even though he was in good running shape, he, he hadn't done the long runs, but he probably thought, well, if I could run a three-hour marathon that I trained for, break three hours, I could probably do a four-hour marathon and not train for it very much. So he ran alongside of me, and we hit that mark, and and we were, and I was just behind him. It was a really hot day, and, and he was so excited because I was on track to you know, do like a three-hour and 45-minute marathon. And he turned and he said, he didn't see my face, and he, he, he said, oh, my God, Chris, you're going to do it. We only have four miles to go. And I just went, let out this total, like, <laughs> defeated noise. It was like this, oh, God. And he just looked back at me, and he took a look, and he goes, all right. He goes, all right, new strategy. We're going to finish this race. Whatever it takes, we're going to finish <laughs> And I'm telling you, I was so dehydrated, and I felt so bad, and I, I, wanted, I was walking back, and he was like, no, 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 step forward, not back, you know. <laughs> and, and, you know, and I, I did like four hours and three minutes or something, you know, like, but it was perfect, and it taught me over and over and over again that, you know, there's these times in your life where you just, you, you don't feel great, you don't, you don't feel like it's going to happen, you don't even want to do it, but you just stick with it. You just keep going. You get, you get that true grit feeling that's just deep in your soul, and you say, I want to do this more than I want to quit. <laughs> yes. I love that. And I mean, this is, this, this fits into the third dimension, right? This is what we talk about. The third dimension is like anything you do where you persevere through something you didn't know was possible. This is where you build that confidence to be able to translate that into other areas. So you were able to do that in, in, in marathons, uh, pushing through the part where you thought you were going to die. And I used to train, uh, mixed martial arts and, and, and fighting, and there there always be a point when you're in a, the best matches are the ones where you think you're gonna die, where I want to throw up, where I hurt, yeah. everything hurts, and that's the point that when you come to that, like like Richard said, different mindset, right? When you say no, this is going to happen, and then you end up winning, even when you come from behind. There's a there's an energy in there. A, a vibration that you can focus on and take and take over into anything else. So if there's something that I don't think I can do now or if something comes up and I'm frustrated, I actually, and this, this is unconscious, I never thought about it until just now, until you brought it up, but there's, I go into that space like I'm losing a fight and then I pull it out of my ass and end up yeah. winning, right? It's, it's an energy of this is not happening today, <laughs> Right, I am, right. I, I don't know. This I think if most people, if you pull something out of your ass and you bring it to a fight, the person will just want not want to fight you anymore. 
<laughs> yeah, call in the bill check. <laughs> Hello? Hello? Hi. Do we yes. lose me? Do we lose Alex? No, I'm, yeah, I'm here. It, okay, I'm here. good. Um, cool. So, well, uh, Chris, let's. can you tell tell uh, our listeners um, how we can, how they can get a hold of you, how they can learn from you, how, uh, what services you have, what products you have that, that, that um, like, what are you doing right now that you are most excited about people knowing about? Well, I mean, I'm really excited about my podcast. I'm um, I'm doing a podcast, and you can go to christinecarlson.com. It's www.k-r-i-s-t-i-n-e-c-a-r-l-s-o-n.com, and it's listed on my um, website. Um, super excited about my podcast, and um, yeah, I mean, I love I love like my blog. I have a program for women in transition um, and change, and also who just get to that place at any age where they just they feel like they don't know what they want to do next. So it's called What Now. That's on my website as well. Um, it's really a personal growth program. It's it's really a mentorship program by me, but I've turned it into um, an evergreen online program that once it's completed, then you can come on a weekend retreat with me. But you have to go through that course in, a, in order to go to a What Now retreat. So it's really affordable, and it's um, a six-week course. And it's, um, it's, go, it's a, di- a deep dive into you. It's really a deep dive into who you are at this stage of your life. And um, it's designed to really facilitate a project or a dream or a vision of something for your future at the end. So um, I do that. And then I'm, you know, all over the place. You know, I do all sorts of different events and speaking and um, and you can find me on Facebook. Yeah, when's you when's know? your next live speaking event? Where can people see you live and actually experience you in person it's it's quite an experience well interestingly right now i'm i just finished all my live speaking events that are on my calendar right now so i'm pretty open i've got some things that are potentially in the works um so my event calendar is really open right now um i don't have any live events scheduled except i will be doing a what now retreat in the spring I'll be doing another retreat in italy um not this year but next year so those are the only two things i really know that at this point, I think this is a very inward year for me. Like I'm, I'm going to be doing a lot of creating. I'm going to be, I'm working with my publisher on relaunching the Don't Sweat the Small Stuff books with a whole new brand right now, and for the 20th anniversary. And I'm going to be um, doing a Don't Sweat the Small Stuff e-course that will be a video module, which will hopefully include some video of Richard in it too. And so that's coming out, you know, at some point this spring. So, you know, there's just a lot of – I'm driving a lot of content right now. I'm generating a lot. And um, and that just for me, that's a very inward process. That means I have to, you know, I have to be in my life um, very fully. I have to be in a – you know, I don't, I don't do a lot of partying. I don't do a lot of socializing. <laughs> probably not the time for me to have a really serious boyfriend or even a love affair. You know, it's like I don't have a lot of distraction going on when I'm in these times of, you know, um, creating because I just can't, you know, I can't afford it. It's, it's, I need to be in that inspiration mode where I'm, you know, receiving. And if I'm distracted, I'm like anybody else, I'm distracted. So 
that's the other that's the other value of being in menopause. I'm far less distracted these days. <laughs> wow. So so you you feel like being in a relationship still juicy uh, but not distracted. <laughs> right. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, yeah. So so do you feel like do you feel like being in a relationship distracts you instead of inspires you? Because I mean, this is how you guys started as. We call it well, no, no, no. I don't. I don't. I don't say that at all. But at this stage of my life, um, I would say I'm not in a relationship. Like, I have relationships, but I'm not in a relationship. So, it, for me, because the relationship I had with Richard was a partnership and a marriage, and it was very healthy, and it was, it you know, we it was super creative for that reason because it was so healthy. But right. at this stage, I mean, I'm truly a sovereign woman. I'm financially independent i'm independent over all my decisions i'm not in a relationship at the moment i'm you know i have companionship and i you know i've got men that i date but if there's any waves like with me you know like if i feel like there's mind space that's taken up by that person or it's not healthy i'm not going to do it right now you know it's it's just going to be gone because i can't afford you know, I can't afford to have that, you know, I will be discerning enough to see that that's not healthy for my inspiration, you know, and, um, but right now, oh, it's all cool. It's good. Cool. The woman <laughs> knows what she cool. wants. <laughs> oh, very cool. Very cool. So do you have any last words, any last things that you want to say that that's coming through, uh, the source that, that you are the channel? Is there anything else I have, that I have one last question as, as uh, perhaps as part of that or different. Um, is, is magic real? Is there anything like magic or the teachings of druidism or shamanism uh, that's real? Um, well, I, I think, you know, the stories, I, I'm going to close with a very magical story for me of my healing. Um, and you can ask that question after I tell this story. <laughs> So about two years into my grief after losing Richard, um, I was flying home from Eugene, Oregon, and my parents had had their 50th wedding anniversary, and I was flying with my kids. And we got to the airport, and we went up to um, the ticket guy to turn in our bags and stuff, and he looked at our tickets, and he said, you know, you're not seated together on this flight. He was a Hawaiian man, and he said, do you think because it's Christmas time you should really be seated together on the flight? And he said, I feel like you should because I would. I don't like my family separated during the holidays. And I, I kind of looked at him, and I laughed. I looked at the girls, and I said, oh, it doesn't matter. But he took it upon himself to renegotiate our seats on the flight. And so we we got on a flight, and we were sitting together in a little commuter jet of about 50 people. And um, the girls were in the window and aisle. I mean, the window, I was an aisle seat. They were next to me, but the window seat was open. This man walked up. He stood in front of me, you know, for me to get up and let him sit in his seat. And I got chills. Like, I really got these chills that came over me. And my girls started giggling. And, you know, they're they're teenagers, you know, they're not like little kids. Like they wouldn't giggle. Like it was weird. Like they started laughing when he stood there and I 
got chills. And he sat down, and I thought, God, what is that? Like, am I attracted to this guy? What is that? What was that? And I turned to him to talk to him. You know, as the flight took off, I said hello, but he, he had pulled out his computer, and he was clearly working, so I didn't bother him. And then at the descent of the flight, I turned to him and I said, um, is this a work day for you? He's putting his computer away. And he goes, oh, yeah, I'm really sorry. I would have loved to have talked more. I, I've, I've got meetings this afternoon. I was visiting my sister. And I was like, oh, yeah, I was visiting my brother. And he says, what about you? Is it a work day for you? And I said, oh, no, I mean, I'm a writer, so every day is a potential work day. And he goes, oh, are you a published author? And I said, you know, um." I am, but you'd probably be most familiar with my late husband's work. Dr. Richard Carlson, he wrote Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. And this man looked at me, and he sat back almost in shock. And he kind of looked ashen, like suddenly, like white. Like he really was impacted by me saying that. And I said, wow, what? what? Like, do you know him? Did you know, Are you? were you a fan? Or did you know his work? And and he took a deep breath, and he said, did he die on a flight to JFK a little over two years ago? And I said, I just looked at him. and Oh, I, my God, my he wasn't got, on the flight with him. I, my eyes got really wide, and I, I said, how did you know that? And he goes, because I was seated directly behind him on that flight. I helped lift his body out of his seat. I was the first to assist. And I, you know, I burst into tears because what he didn't know was that my prayer had always been to meet somebody on that flight because I couldn't be there. And I wanted to know who was holding my husband when he transitioned into another life. And I, you know, had a real deep... um, healing at that moment, you know, that I was so divinely loved and so guided and that, you know, clearly Richard was so present that all of that had been orchestrated so that I could meet the person who lifted my husband's body and who could look me in the eye and say, your husband looked so peaceful. That's incredible. Well, I don't think there's anybody that's not crying right now. Can't even talk. Um, thank you for that story to bring this show to the perfect, perfect closing point. There's just, uh, I have no words to express my gratitude for you and for who you are in the world and for the light you bring to the world and the understanding and the uh, you're such a beautiful uh, person and I'm so honored to know you and be on this journey with you. I just want to say, you know, the power of love and the power of that connection and how you love and how you live, it just it transcends the boundaries of time and space. It really does. And what you learn and what we awaken to every time that somebody transitions and and we're not ready for them to go i mean i don't know if you're ever ready to lose the people you love i don't think you are but not not as a human being but to realize that 
they're still so present. Love is still so present around you, and all you have to do is just be open, open and present to feeling it and to receive it. It's there, and it will heal you and lead you and take you everywhere you need to go, and there's just nothing you can overcome if you can tap into that source of love. Absolutely. What a what a beautiful place to be in, and... and uh, so much, so much peace, so much peace. Um, thanks, Chris. Thank you, thank oh, you, thank, thank you. thank you, guys. What a beautiful so, thank conversation. Thank you, Chris. That was a lovely conversation. I got so much out of it, and I can't wait to start my day tomorrow to try it out. <laughs> Yay, Alex. All right, you guys take really good care. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. Have a good day oh, and a good week and a good year, and thanks for touching so many people's lives in a positive way, and I think you're the number one stress reduction person on the planet with oh, the, the small stuff. It doesn't come any more direct than that. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. All right. Goodbye. Right. Bye. So, Alex, it's like Alex left. Okay. Well, love you all. Thanks for uh, Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. You're amazing, and uh, we'll see you next week.